Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. Begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Does it feel like society is starting to move a little bit? I, I think it does, because all of you told it to me this morning. There's a little pep in our step, I think. Uh, maybe a little bit bigger smile on our faces. Um, our faces aren't hidden by masks any longer. Um, I think it feels as though things are starting to move back to a sense of normalcy, right? Um, if you're anything like me, I think you've been longing for that, right? I, we we're used to being able to, to have that kind of movement. We're used to being able to at least uh, want to be able to do things, even if maybe we decide not to, right? But we, we've become very used to, I think, that just that freedom that we have to move about. We're starting to feel it right now. But in our lesson today on Pentecost, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to use that movement in service to the gospel and actually in service to our community. And so I think this Pentecost Sunday actually comes at a really wonderful time because if Pentecost is anything, it is the, the true account of the birth of the early Christian church. But even beyond that, it is the account of the movement of the gospel across the known world. Have you ever heard that term, movable feast? You recognize that term at all? Where, did you, where have you heard that before? Anybody want to volunteer? A movable feast? Yeah, it's a book title. Do you know who wrote it? Yeah, yeah, but good. You already get a gold star for knowing it was a book title. So <laughs> thank you, Sarah. Um, yeah, so A Movable Feast, it was a book from Ernest Hemingway. And it was actually a, a sem- somewhat of a memoir. It was released about five years after his death. But uh, it was an account of his time as a, a young man, as a writer in, in Paris in the 1920s. And so it's kind of a fascinating book. Um, It's not, yeah, it's a fascinating book. But he's got all kinds of other writers, all kinds of other expatriates. And his life was incredibly movable as a young man in Paris. Uh, Ernest Hemingway said this. This is from A Movable Feast. He says, if you are lucky enough to have lived in Paris as a young man, then wherever you go for the rest of your life, it stays with you. For Paris is a movable feast. Kind of a neat phrase, isn't it, right? And I think on some level we can understand that. I mean, I think if, if, um, if, if you've got a little more gray on your temples like I do, you can remember a time in your life when you were incredibly mobile, like when, when almost everything that you owned maybe fit into a single car and you could just go anywhere. On some level, that's what he's talking about, the idea that, that the joy uh, and the portability of that time in his life traveled with him the rest of his life. And in fact, on some level, he would argue that, that that was the formative age for him to become a writer and for many of the people that he lived with. But he took it with him. 
But here's the interesting thing. Uh, Ernest Hemingway didn't invite, invent that phrase. You know that he actually just kind of borrowed it from somewhere else? He borrowed it from uh, religion and Christianity specifically. Because today we're celebrating one of the high points of the Christian church year, Pentecost, which takes place 50 days after Easter. And did you know that Pentecost is considered a movable feast? Now, you want to know why? Because it literally moves its date. You knew that, right? So Pentecost always is 50 days after Easter. And remember, Easter is based on a lunar calendar, and it's far more complicated than I can ever figure out. But you know, Easter each year changes a little bit. Therefore, so does Pentecost afterwards. And that's because it was based off the Jewish festival year, which was also based off of the lunar festival season. And so Pentecost for the Israelites, for the Jews, Pentecost for us as New Testament Christians has always been known as a movable, movable feast. And I think that's a pretty good description of what Pentecost is, of what Pentecost did, and of what Pentecost remains for you and I as believers. And so that's what I want to dig into. Um, no pun intended, maybe pun intended. We are going to dig into a movable feast today. We're going to dig into the reality of Pentecost, but most importantly, take out of it, what does that mean for us in our, in our Christian living um, and in our incredibly mobile society? What does it mean for us here at CVL in our individual lives and in our community? So, are you ready to eat? Let's dig into the movable feast. I'm going to keep with the, uh, the eating theme. There's three areas that I want to look at. Um, we're going to talk about how in Pentecost, God and the Holy Spirit set the table. So we're going to look at some of that, how God set up the parameters of what happened on that Pentecost. Um, we're going to also going to see that God ultimately provides the main course. And then out of that, we'll see what community comes from that movable feast. So we'll stick with that kind of eating theme. You'll all be hungry by the end of the sermon today. So, uh, so those three things, God sets the table we have a main course, and it creates community within our lives. So um, before I jump into the text, though, understand a little bit of the depth of that day of Pentecost. I think we know it because of our words that happened in the book of Acts, and oftentimes we would mark that as the beginning of the early Christian church, right? And in fact, in our text, right, there's amazing things that happen. So we talk about being able to speak in, tongue, speak in tongues for the apostles, the tongues of fire on their heads, the fact that over 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus on that day. And so for us as Christians, I think maybe that becomes the totality of Pentecost for us. But did you know that Pentecost was an Old Testament Jewish Israelite festival as well? By the very same name. So Jews celebrated Pentecost. When 3,000 people came to faith in Christ, when they heard them speaking the gospel in their ho own home languages, that was happening on Pentecost, the exact same Pentecost that the Jews in Jerusalem were celebrating. So this was another high point of the Jewish church year. And so again, you remember Passover is about when Easter was. Pentecost, Jerusalem would have filled up with pilgrims from all over the known world. In fact, our text gives us reminders of it. They actually list the countries from where everybody was from. 
The reason they're in town is because they are celebrating Pentecost. Now, on Pentecost, for those Jews, um, they would bring their, their first fruits or their, their grain sacrifice to the temple. And so it landed always at a pretty good time of year, almost like us, because springtime, what starts happening? Crops start growing, things start blooming. And so Pentecost for the Jews was an opportunity to uh, give back to their God a, a thank offering, saying, Lord, thank you for sustaining us through the winter. Thank you for having blessed us. Thank you for having put food on our tables. And we ask your blessing on the upcoming growing season. And so that's what Pentecost was for those Jews. And so it's fascinating that God um, has this event of Pentecost happen at this time, right? It's changed our view just a little bit of it, but it's probably incredibly apt that on the day that those Jews were giving their thank offerings and bringing their first fruits in, Christ, God, and through the work of the Holy Spirit was changing hearts and sending people out into the known world. So that's where our text takes place today. Um, I'm going to jump in verses 1 through 4, and we'll talk a little bit about how God, how God set the table for this movable feast. Okay? So you're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like in your bulletin. Begin with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw, saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in the other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So now picture the setting a little bit. Um, and here's my, here's my warning to you. If, if the sound like a blowing of a violent wind happens to us this morning, it could be the Holy Spirit. Um, but it also could be winds coming off of the mountains. But for them, this was, they were in a room, right? This was, this was, this was out of the, this was not something that they would have expected. It was clearly something different was happening here. You combine that with the tongues of fire that were above their heads, and then the added reality that they were now able to speak the gospel in languages that they had never spoken before. The totality of that marks this as a remarkable event. In fact, remember our gospel text that I wrote or that I read? Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the advocate to you. This is the fulfillment of that. He said, stay in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on you. That's exactly what happens here on Pentecost. So now I talked about God setting the table for this movable feast. What's really fascinating here is he removes two barriers to the transmission of the gospel, to, to being able to share the gospel with the people that were in Jerusalem, okay? So two things that God kind of takes out of the way. I don't know if we want to think about it this way, that he kind of clears some of the brush out of the way so the gospel would affect and, and change hearts, right? Those two things, first one is the language barrier, which would have been a little bit of an issue, right? Um, the, our text tells us that these were Galileans, and, but there were people in from all over the Mediterranean, the entire known world, and there would have been a very clear language barrier. So if you're Peter and you're thinking, okay, and this is kind of, I think, how Peter worked. Um, he was bold and, and he absolutely would have wanted to preach Christ crucified, but 
um, surely he would have stepped back and said, how exactly am I going to do that? Because there's people all over Jerusalem. We have an audience where we can share Christ with people from all over the known world, but I don't speak their language. God says, I'm going to take care of that. And so he allows the apostles to share the gospel in the known spoken language of people from all over the known world. So God removes that obstacle of that language in order for the gospel to be um, understood and to take root in their hearts. So that's the first thing that he removes. Second thing he removes is location. And that kind of happens in two different ways. Uh, number one, remember, God brought all these people in on Pentecost, right? So rather than having to run out to every nation in the Mediterranean, God says, I'm going to bring a huge group of people in who already know the Old Testament, who know the Old Testament prophecies about a Savior and a Messiah. I'm going to bring them here. And so on some level, God removes that object or that problem of location. But what's really fascinating, which you think mentally all the way to the end of our text, God not only brings them in, but then he changes their hearts. And then you know what he does with them? He sends them back out, right? He sends them back out to their families, to their communities, to their towns, to their country, to their countrymen and women. So God removes that barrier of language. And he removes that barrier of location. But really, that's just setting the table for that movable feast. Because the most important part of any meal is the main course. That's exactly what Peter serves up for those people in Jerusalem. So let me continue on. I'm going to read verses 36 through 39. Peter says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now understand and pause there just for a moment. Because Peter's saying a lot in that one sentence. This is not just an appetizer of the gospel, right? This is not kind of light, fluffy stuff. This isn't, quite honestly, this isn't Peter just coming to a captive audience and, and, and giving them something to nibble on or, or something to kind of help improve their daily living. Peter, in kind of true Peter style, just goes right at them. He tells them exactly what's going on. Let me read that one more time. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this as if, as if they didn't know. Peter says, let me say this again. <laughs> be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Would you have danced around the subject if you were in Jerusalem? And now people could hear you in their own languages. And remember, this is only 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection. Remember that the disciples had large amounts of fear. If you were given that stage and that opportunity, would you have danced around it? I don't know. I don't know if we would have. I don't know if Peter had fear in his mind or in his heart as he was preaching this to these people. I don't know if Peter thought, well, I'm, I'm going to say this, but I may be thrown in jail. 
I may be put to death. See, I think we can empathize with Peter just a little bit and with the message that he's saying. Because he is saying to that captive audience, you crucified Jesus. You put him to death. It's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? In the midst of Jerusalem. But you want to know who else makes that same statement? Scripture does, right? And Scripture says it to you and I. Because we may not have been in Jerusalem at that time and we may not have been physically responsible for his imprisonment, his crucifixion on a cross, and his suffering. But Peter's words are aimed at you and I as well. Reason? Because of our sin. My sin. Our anger. Our grudges. Our breaking of promises. Our withholding forgiveness when we ought to grant it. Our prideful unwillingness to ask for forgiveness when we have hurt and damaged someone else. See, the reason Christ hung from that cross and was crucified was because of you and I. Because of our sin. Right? And so when Peter speaks these bold words, it's not just to people 2,000 years ago. It's to you and I as well. But he finishes with this, that Jesus was both Lord and Messiah. And so what is he saying to us? He's saying Jesus was crucified on account of us and for a reason, but he was the promised Messiah. And that in fact he rose from death assuring you that your sins absolutely have been forgiven. And so uh, if, if he cuts with the law, he heals with the gospel, and he says, Jesus' death means that you absolutely are forgiven, that your sins are washed clean, that we have a Messiah, that you have a Messiah that was promised, that was foretold, that completed and fulfilled those prophecies. That's the message Peter preached on Pentecost. And the effect? It was joy. It changed their lives. It's changed your life. Knowing that without a shadow of a doubt that you have a Savior that loves you, that you are a child of God, and that your sins are forgiven. That's the gospel message that heals. That's the gospel message that changes hearts, and it did on Pentecost. Peter said that, he said, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So it had an impact, right? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, right? For all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, right? That's the reality of that Pentecost message. It wasn't just for them. And to be honest, it's not just for us, but it's for your kids, and it's for the generations afterwards, and it's for the community around us who don't know of Christ and the forgiveness and the love that he poured out for them on the cross, okay? And so Pentecost is a movable feast because you take it with you. You take the good news of the gospel with you into every relationship, into every community that you're in, 
and into the world around you with your coworkers, with your family, and with your friends. You walk with that gospel. Not only do you dine on it and does it, does it nourish you individually, but you're able to take it to those who are lost, who are starving for hope and for forgiveness. So Pentecost absolutely is a movable feast. And what does it create? What do hearts changed through the gospel create? We get a pretty good example in our text. Let's finish with that. Verse 46 and 47. This is talking about the early Christian church and the Christians whose hearts were changed on account of Pentecost. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How would you characterize the collective life of the early Christians? If this is an example, I think they liked one another. <laughs> Imagine. They ate with one another. They lived with one another. They shared joy with one another. They, they shared each other's burdens because understand the birth of the early Christian church. Many of these that we hear in this account of Acts were probably physically going to lose their life because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So if we, if we characterize this, we say, this is just a wonderful, this, they're just loving it, right? Joy and glad and sincere hearts. But you understand the cloud that was over them. Many of them would die for their faith and for their Lord and Savior. And yet in the midst of that, they continually met together with joy and with sincere hearts. You get the sense that nothing was going to hold these Christians down, even persecution within the Roman Empire, because the joy and the knowledge of Christ had so changed their hearts that it had also affected their lives. And I pray the same is true for us as well. We gather together, buildings not done, underneath a roof, but we have that same joy of knowing that our sins have been forgiven. And you have the exact same movable feast. Because wherever the gospel goes, it creates communities just like you. Wherever the gospel goes, it affects communities just like our community. Because it changes hearts. And so as we move forward, as you leave here on this Pentecost Sunday, hold on to that. That Pentecost absolutely is a movable feast. Let it warm your hearts. Let it nourish you spiritually. But don't be afraid. And don't forget to share that movable feast with those in your lives. Amen.